0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is scorebox The headlines, Chinese stocks hit a two-week high after the Dow surges more than 1,000 points boosted by healthcare stocks and Joe Biden's strengthened bid in the Democratic presidential race. The U.S. House of Representatives passing an $8 billion emergency funding bill to combat COVID-19, while the IMF sets aside a $50 billion aid package as the managing director warns growth will slow this year.
1: What we are wrestling with is uncertainty. Global growth in 2020 will dip, dip below its last year's levels.
2: Uh, No hugs, no handshakes, no press scrum. Oil prices rebounding as a reduced OPEC meeting gets underway. Amid reports Russia is pushing back against a Saudi plan for even deeper supply cuts. And Flybe goes bust. The UK regional airline enters administration less than six months after the failure of Thomas Cook, with apparently the coronavirus the final straw for the troubled carrier.
3: America's biggest tech giants like Facebook and Microsoft send workers home due to coronavirus risk. We speak to a number of CEOs on this side of the Atlantic to ask about their latest measures.
2: I think that we learned some very interesting things this week already about markets and about the lack of depth from real investors trading the market or buying into the opportunity or even selling down because every single person I have spoken to so far this week and over the last six or seven shows has basically said to me that they believe that it is shorter-term factors which is leading to these wild oscillations both on the downside and on the upside in these financial markets. Longer-term investors are just not playing. They are not selling down and they are not necessarily buying into this move as well. That is the message I'm getting from fund managers galore across the board. So yes, there was another case in point. We can make huge doom protestations about the big down days, And equally so, I'm not going to say, uh, oh, my God, everything's back on when we have a good day. But my goodness me, if you were along the market, it was an extraordinary session. Again, most of the day, we were not up 1,173 points on the Dow. Again, in the last hour or so of trading, that is when we saw an acceleration of the trend of the session that we'd seen throughout as well. So 3.9% up for the Nasdaq, the Dow now up 6.6% for the week. Again, you won't hear from me that all bets are back on on this market. I think they're extraordinary and they're very tempestuous. But I do want to look at some of the individual sectors, including healthcare, which had a very, very big rally yesterday. In fact, one of the biggest rallies you're ever going to see on an individual day. Anthem up 15.6%. Cigna up 10.7%. I want to move on quickly and have a look at Apple and Skyworks. And normally at this point, I'd spend all my time looking at Apple because it's the big story. You've all got it, whatever. No, I want to look at this one. Skyworks. I think it's very interesting. Skyworks had a good session um, on the back of a warning. Now, Skyworks had a good session on the back of a warning as well. They were actually moving to the upside off, they warned. And I think this is an important lesson for all of you out there. Skyworks gave us information about what's happening about their supply chain. They gave us what they believe a quantifiable fact about the diminishment of revenues on the back of the coronavirus epidemic. They've gone down on their estimations from, I think it's $800 to $820 million revenue to somewhere uh, as low as, where is it? $760 to $770 million revenue. Second quarter. Why is that so exciting? Rather than me talking about Apple, I'll tell you why because they're giving you the market, a number on a quantifiable level of what coronavirus is potentially going to be costing. Now, they may be right, they may be wrong, but the fact is they're giving you hard data and you need raw data to make investment decisions rather than that lot over there who are just buying it and selling it aggressively on the momentum. Do you get what I'm saying? So you're basically getting a bit of information and people will buy or sell based on the information rather than speculation and fear and sentiment. That is very important. Let's have a look at the next board as well. Treasuries, just backing up a little bit, we've got the yield on the ten year one point zero one. Of course, we were looking at sub one percent yields in the previous sessions well. Oil and gold, I do want to look at oil as well. Again. This is very interesting because oil was moving aggressively on the back of, oh, what will happen to demand to the downside? Oh, what will happen to demand on the upside? But then we had information coming out of OPEC yesterday. Now, it wasn't clear information and it was partial, but we started looking at what the Russians and the Saudis were doing again in terms of real barrels. That is more market conditions, ladies and gentlemen. So both on the oil story and the Skyworks story, this is the point I'm trying to make to you today. People were once again reassessing their investment decisions based on hard facts and the news flow, rather than just the, the uh, ebullience of sentiment in the previous session, or actually uh, the abundance of pessimism in the, in the couple before that last week as well. A quick look at the Asian markets and see where we're trading here. We are healthily up across the board. If you're long, if you're short shorter market, you're having a bad session as well. So, Jeffrey, uh, I think the market, rightly or wrongly... It is moving very aggressive on the moves on the big story. But actually one or two stories begin to say, this is what it will cost us. This is what we think is happening to demand. This is not not happening to demand. And I think that... Good oh, morning, David. Good morning, Karen. Uh, David Bloom's joined us, and so I think that's an interesting, perhaps transition in the market psychology. It's not just blind selling or blind buying. I think people are beginning to assess
0: information. Uh, it's interesting. We're, we're going to talk a lot more about that, and obviously we'll get David Bloom into the conversation. But if some real discernment is coming into market activity, what? perhaps that tells us that some of the fear and the panic is starting to. Come out of the equation, but but we'll have the conversation. Uh, let's update you on the numbers. The global death toll from the coronavirus outbreak has topped 3,000. The number of confirmed cases has increased to more than 93,000. California has declared a state of emergency after reporting its first death from the virus. The UK also saw its biggest daily jump in cases, bringing the total number to 87. The infection has also been detected among staff at the Council of the European Union. The US House of Representatives has passed an $8.3 billion emergency funding bill to battle the spread of the virus and develop vaccines. The House overwhelmingly approved the funding in a bipartisan vote yesterday. The bill more than triples President Trump's $2.5 billion plan. The Senate is expected to vote on the bill later
3: this week. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva said the spread of the virus has quashed hopes for a stronger growth level in 2020. This is the multilateral agency announced a $50 billion fund to help countries with weak health systems respond to coronavirus. Now, speaking to CNBC, Gorgieva outlined the key issues that countries need
1: to address. In terms of how we set priorities, it goes in the following order. First, health systems and response. Second, fiscal measures To ease the impact on businesses and households, Uh, uh, make sure that that we are thinking about it now. Third, liquidity. We do want to be sure that credit lines will be available when they are needed. Former
3: ECB Chief Jean-Claude Trichet also played down concerns over the financial impact of the virus.
4: At the present level, frankly speaking, I am not sure that we have the equivalent of uh, what we had with the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy and the, the absolute drama of immediate and grave threat of depression.
0: The Bank of Canada has lowered interest rates by half a percentage point, echoing the Fed move as policymakers look to ease worries over coronavirus. The central bank said the infection presents a material negative shock and is likely to impact business confidence. It added first quarter growth would come in below expectations. Uh, David Bloom is global head of FX strategy at HSPC. Good morning, Dave. Well, let's start, let's start with Steve's premise here then, because it's the, it's the issue that everybody debates. How efficient ultimately are markets? processing information and then coming to a reasonable price for assets. Do we think that we're getting closer to rationality in understanding this virus? We've
5: tried. We've tried to write pieces that think when things settle down, who you should buy and who you shouldn't buy. But in a risk on risk off world, you just get smashed either way. That's the problem. You are the buying risk. Like you saw the Dow goes up and everyone, it's happy as Larry days and, you know, the dollar's coming off and the, you know, the, the weaker currencies, South African rand, etc., are rallying, or you're the other way around. And so you can't really disseminate. Now, we've kind of written pieces if things calm down, you know, the ruble looks better than some of the other semia currencies, which Asian currencies we like, but we're not in the relative uh, value game quite yet. We're still in, I think, a risk-on-risk-off situation, where you just get taken by the waves on the one direction and then smashed in the other direction. And look at the U.S. equity market, up 5%, down 5%, up 5%. I mean, if you imagine you're playing relative plays, it's nothing. You, you, you're getting annual clarify, returns in a day. But just to
2: clarify before Karen comes in, I, I agree that that's what happens in the short. That's why most yeah. people like you and the medium term tra- 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 um, analysts we've been speaking to and, and fund managers say you, you buy through it, you look through it, you try. So when you start getting a little bit of information, as I say, from various parties, that's when it just you see the first green shoots of, of, of calmness coming through. Because we know that after all these volatile periods, whether this one lasts three months, a year, whatever, there will be calmness eventually.
3: I take your point, but to me what's been alarming the last couple of weeks has been the amount of CEOs just talking about the supply side. That's it. And when we press them a little bit further on demand, they say, oh, well, yes, uh, clearly that's not known at this point. So we don't really have the information. If you see the measures in I Italy yesterday, it. the shutdowns of schools, you know, the, when we get it, but we don't, well, we don't have re- it at this point. I think of of it, so it? we've priced our markets before this.
5: to try and play the relative uh, value game. I think you need to set out what you think will happen when we get there. But I think you, uh, this is a ro-ro world. I, I just one more comment, for you. I know I'm hogging it, but 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 the yeah, violence, really? the but notice, the,
2: <laughs> but the violence of the move down is always matched in the last two or three of these big sellers, by violence have moved upwards. So by the time the rationality
5: comes in from everyone else, we've kind of already seen the opportunity come and go. But that's still a row-row move. I mean, seeing the the S&P or the Dow up 5% in a day is a row-row move. If you bought one stock versus another, then uh, you might have done okay. But still, this is uh, trying to call the general market. And the question is, should you be buying the dip? And we still say no. What about the stimulus though?
0: I mean, even as we're talking here, China's vice finance minister says China has allocated 110 billion yuan to virus related funding so we've had that we've had 50 billion committed by the imf we've had over 8 billion now committed by the house of representatives we've got rate cuts happening no, I mean, what, all around the world hang on a second hang on that? a so my point is this that if what we're worried about is a shock to the global economy we already see the fire engines coming down the road ready to but spray money wherever they yes, feel the it's necessary
5: is, let, let's just define this as a supply side issue where um and i'll use toilet paper as the example only because there'd be panic buying of toilet only paper in
2: Hampstead in place where yeah. you live there's yeah. loads in Uckfield. no it's but i'm saying
5: point. so the question is if someone gives me if there's nothing available in the shop and give me 100 pounds and I say, OK, I couldn't get it. I say, OK, he has a £1,000. You say, but it's not available. So the problem is a supply side problem. And throwing money at a supply side problem may not help. And that's why people are sceptical about central banks cutting rates. The fiscal side, I totally agree with. And helping people with zero interest rate, basically uh, overdrafts and things like that while they're in a cash flow but, but, problem is different. But this isn't a financial crisis.
0: But this we're only isn't talking about phasing crisis. here. We're only talking about the timing. Of these measures because ultimately we assume just like China we will go through a cycle of infection and then infections falling and then ultimately this will look like the flu or SARS or any of those other virus type events that we've had in recent yeah. years at that point are we not going to get something that looks so like a you, v-shaped recovery so because all of that money will find its way okay into so land. in
5: manufacturing you can the car you didn't build, you build too. But if you didn't go to the restaurant you didn't take that airline flight you're not going to take two the next month so our economies in the west are service sector orientated economies where 70 percent of the economy is service sector that doesn't have a v-shape manufacturing can have a v-shape you didn't build a car in january built two in february you didn't go to a restaurant in january you're not going to go like for lunch and dinner so that's the problem you get lost output on the service sector side and we're a big service sector economy so Yeah, you could get a a bit of a V-shaped pickup, but if it's really in the service sector, which it looks like it's going to be hit, then uh, it's very difficult to get to regain that output.
3: David, I want to take you to the dollar because you've been a dollar bull all along. And as these market moves were happening, we saw the dollar start to wane. I was wondering what you were thinking from the high levels. So what happens? Well, what happens from (laughs) here? We've had one move, an extraordinary move, 50 basis points, typically in history that seems an extraordinary move. But we haven't had the measures that we had post-financial crisis where you had the buying of the long end, mortgage-backed securities, all of those types of measures. Forward guidance, I question whether that's a tool at this point for central banks. What do you think happens? And does the dollar stand the test of time in 2020?
5: Okay, so the dollar's gone up, let's say, 10 and retraced one, and yes. you, you're giving me the little one. <laughs> so, so, so the, the question,
3: question is, look at the service
5: sector PMI uh, um, that came out yesterday from the US. Look at the starting point that the US was at, and look at what they're throwing at it. So you've got the best starting point, you've thrown 50 basis points at it, you're throwing billions at it, and everyone says, I'm bearish. Look at the Eurozone. They haven't cut rates because what happened in the G7 is the US must have gone, we keen as mustard. And the Canadians must have gone, we're behind you. And the UK must have gone, well, let's see what the others do. So who didn't <laughs> want to play ball? Who didn't want to play ball? Oh, it must have been the Europeans because they can't cut rates. They haven't done a fiscal policy. And so you're saying, I want to sell the dollar and buy the euro because they didn't do anything. And the US is loosening policy and starting from the best starting point. No, no. The, the dollar is still the best and the dollar is a risk of currency. So one thing about the dollar is when you buy it, you get a free insurance policy against all bad things. And that's what happens. It's a risk of currency. So that's why the dollar performs well and I think will continue. Now, of course, some of these currencies have retraced because they went, you know, they blew out, but some of them haven't. Some of them are looking rocky. If you can, you put up a chart of the Brazilian real that hasn't retraced. That's very worrying. Yeah, of course, Turkey's seen a retracement, even Iran's seen a retracement. But for example, Brazil has just sold off and it's, it's stayed there. So the question is, what does this cause for others? So yeah, the euro went from 108 to 111, our forecast is 110. I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's neither here nor there. But what I'm saying is the US is in the best place to start off with. We saw from the numbers yesterday, it's the strongest economy. Australia was already slowing. And they've got policy action that they're putting in. Right. Don't Wouldn't you prefer that from someone who sits back and does nothing and say, well, they haven't cut rates. Is let's, that good?
3: Let's pick up on some more of the currencies a little bit later on with you. Thank you very much for that. I want a of Brazil. Okay, we'll, we'll work on it in the meantime. What, what <laughs> chart are you
2: getting that one right? Just, just uh, you today. To it. <laughs> okay. I'm not getting any of them right. Hey, what would you do with half a billion quid? If someone said to you, here's half a billion quid, what would you do? I'd never see them again. <laughs> <laughs> Would you try and become prime minister or something? <laughs> would you say philanthropic? He said
3: he would flee. <laughs> well, I, I think, think you're setting the scene nicely what's happened in you, the
2: you have quite a lot in this yes. bloke yes. Like, about, so. yeah. <laughs>
3: Michael Bloomberg has dropped out of the 2020 presidential race following a disappointing Super Tuesday. The former New York mayor spent over $445 million on radio and television ads, but walked away with only 24 delegates. Bloomberg has endorsed Joe Biden, saying he has the best chance of defeating President Trump. Biden is riding high after a string of Super Tuesday wins launched him to the top of the 2020 Democratic field. This is the count for California has yet to come in. NBC's
6: Kristen Welker reports. Tonight, Joe Biden savoring his surprising Super Tuesday surge, going after Bernie Sanders' assertion his win was a victory for the establishment. Is this the establishment trying to defeat Bernie Sanders, Mr. Vice President? The establishment are all those hard-working middle-class people. Biden also getting a boost from billionaire Michael Bloomberg, who dropped out today.
5: Defeating Donald Trump starts with uniting behind the candidate with the best shot to do it. And after yesterday's vote, it is clear that candidate is my friend and a great American, Joe Biden.
6: It all comes after Biden pulled off one of the biggest comebacks in political history, winning a string of southern states last night, along with surprises. Texas, Massachusetts and Minnesota taking a delegate lead.
5: So I'm here to report we are very much
6: alive. His fiery speech momentarily interrupted when protesters rushed the stage. Even his wife, Jill Biden, stepping in. The Democratic primary, now a two-person race. While Sanders didn't have the strong night he was looking for, he did win three states and is leading in the biggest, California.
5: We are going to win the Democratic nomination.
6: Today, Sanders sharpening his attacks on Biden.
1: Joe is going to have to explain. the American people why he voted for a Wall Street bailout, something that I vigorously opposed.
6: Releasing this new ad blasting Biden's past comments on Social Security. When I argued if we should freeze
2: federal spending, I meant Social Security as well.
6: Now, all eyes on the other progressive senator in the race, Elizabeth Warren, who's assessing her campaign after a disappointing night.
4: I put something out on it this morning. She was really a spoiler.
6: Biden later telling NBC's Savannah Guthrie. Look, I think the one thing the president doesn't want to do from the very beginning is face me, because I will beat him, period. Kristen Welker, NBC News, Los Angeles.
2: Oh, sorry, I'm still working out what I'd buy, half a billion quid. Right, um, more than 24 votes, that's for sure. Uh, Coming up on the show, OPEC ministers will today wrangle, continue to wrangle over how to shore up the oil market as the coronavirus outbreak saps global demand. We'll talk about that as well. I've got some interesting thoughts. Well, certainly Christian Marlick has later on the show. Uh, Anyway, in the meantime, we'll head live to Vienna next.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Pharmaceutical Group, uh, Merck, uh, putting out a warning on uh, sales this morning. So the group saying coronavirus will have a 1% negative hit on 2020 sales. The group has delivered fourth quarter sales in at 4.38 billion. Uh, Analysts had seen sales from Merck at 4.33. So they're modestly above what was expected? The net profit line: three hundred and eighteen million for the fourth quarter. EBIT: five hundred and fifteen million. And encouraging comments, really, on solid organic growth expected in twenty twenty. But obviously, uh, some in the market will look carefully at that one percent negative hit on twenty twenty sales they forecast. Moving on, we will speak with the Merck CFO, Marcus Kunert. That's a first on interview at eight fifteen CET.
3: I think we're all diving through these results, looking for the impact of coronavirus on the numbers. And uh, JC Deco, this is the outdoor advertising company, has posted uh, its uh, latest update. They expect their Q1 adjusted organic revenue to be down around 10%, reflecting the very material impact from COVID-19 outbreak high comparable in transport and of course if you've been out and about you've seen uh, some of the screens that they have new screens they've installed but also the traditional poster stars. so if people are not out and about as much if we see lockdowns in cities or restricted travel and restricted social activities then you may not see the advertisers wanting to take out ads and you can see these in the numbers the 2019 adjusted net capex is at 375.4 million euros compared to 286.4 million uh, previous year up compared to last year. So uh, just the latest update.
2: Uh, Saudi Arabia and its OPEC allies have reportedly failed to sway Russia to join them in further slashing oil out, but that's according to Reuters, citing its OPEC sources. Riyadh is seeking additional production cuts of up to $1.5 barrels per day, whilst extending current cuts until the end of the year. The coronavirus outbreak continues to weigh on global demand. No doubt about that. Sending prices lower. Dan, I've got to say, real treat for all our viewers today. You're channeling your inner Roger Moore circa 1971. You're looking very dapper, sir. I've got what do to say? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Thank you very much, Steve. Look, as you pointed out, we are likely to see a production cut from OPEC and its allies tomorrow as the group meets to discuss the response to the coronavirus impact, which has been hugely consequential for oil demands. Let's get you some fresh analysis on Squawk Box this morning. Very pleased to say that Amrita Sen joins us now. She's from Energy Aspects. Amrita, tell me, what are these producers going to do? What's the most likely scenario coming out of the meeting tomorrow?
1: I think our base case is still to assume that they will be able to put together a cut Uh, probably a million barrels per day or so on either side like I think the Saudis are trying to push for a cut that's more than a million Uh, we've got Libya offline there are sanctions on Venezuela that should take another 500 or so off the market in the summer so together that number should mean that the demand losses that we are seeing the whole point is they want to keep inventories in check in Q2 and just not allow a huge buildup that takes them months to run down Uh, the the biggest aim is to prevent contangle but you know Russia's always going to be difficult and I think that's what we're seeing right now. So how is Saudi
4: Arabia going to get Russia on side and is there a real risk that they might walk out of this without a deal?
1: I think that's the really tricky bit right now. I think all of us know that at some point the OPEC plus deal is not going to be exactly the same uh, as it is today. It will become a long-term cooperation, but I don't think any of us expect that to be this meeting. Uh, There's a lot of focus in Russia, not just on shale because I mean, the shale industry is really struggling and their argument is, this we're so close to quote unquote killing them i think well that's a mistake i mean shale shale will always be there of course growth is slowing dramatically but russia is also more comfortable with lower oil prices compared to the saudis so i mean look this is as i call beyond politics right there there is definitely stuff going on behind the scenes this isn't just about oil and i think that's where this deal has to be done effectively there is something russia wants that saudi arabia will have to give because there does seem to be the Russians really are holding out more than usual this time around.
4: How would you characterize the impact that coronavirus has had on the demand profile? We now have analysts at Goldman Sachs and IHS saying we could see demand actually flipping negative yeah. this year.
1: I, I think that's very possible. I mean, we've got like very small growth for the year. The main reason is I just I'm very reluctant to change our second half profile. First half, we are assuming oil demand is going to fall by like a million barrels per day. But not just China. Of course, China is recovering, but now is the rest of the world, right? Everybody's uh, quarantining or well, the schools are being shut. But it's really the second half, people are expecting stimulus. I mean, the Fed cuts are less relevant, but is a Chinese fiscal stimulus that we have to look out for? And so we can get a rebound. It really depends on the duration. This is the OPEC's problem as well. Nobody knows the magnitude or the duration of this problem.
4: So coming up next, when you look at the overall impact on the oil market, is it fair to assume here that if OPEC fails to cut production beyond a million barrels, that we will see a disappointment in terms of pricing and overall market reaction?
1: hundred percent. I mean, we've already seen Brent test $50 last week. I think people are expecting an OPEC action. I would say a million is probably priced in right now anything less or even around that, we'll sell off. From from OPEC's point of view, they cannot expect short-term upside. Sentiment is extremely weak, even if they deliver a million. This is just about ensuring the physical market is tight and we don't go into contango, and so that we can get future upside. If they fail to deliver, I think we'll test 30s. What about some
4: of the other producers within the group as well? While it seems like Russia has been hesitant to sign on, it does look like at this point, at least from what we understand, that the UAE and Kuwait are willing to play ball.
1: Yes, I do think GCC understand the importance of inaction and you know i keep going back to 2014 2015 you had two quarters of huge bills above average bills and that took them two years to run down i think from their point of view it is very much they just don't want the curve to flip into a contango which then lets leads to more storage and that will take them years to run down all their hard work will be undone and that's why i think they're really focused on doing something dramatic right now they can always reverse this in the second half if required.
4: What about the duration? And that's an important point that you raise. If they do deepen production cuts today, how likely is that cut going to stay in place towards the end of the year?
1: I think what the plan is, uh, quote unquote, is extend the current deeper cuts, which is a 2.1 million barrels per day for Q1, through to end of the year and do an additional million or somewhere around there for Q2. Russia's of course saying we'll just extend and that to just for Q2, right? So they're pulls apart right now. Um, But I do think think there is a big push to at least extend the current deal right through year end. They know that the demand scenario or the scenarios are really weak this year. So they have to continue with the cuts this year.
4: Coronavirus has obviously been the main narrative in the oil market for the first quarter. As we come into the rest of the year, is there a real risk that the market is also underpricing perhaps the impact of a phase two trade deal and those likely negotiations that are going to take place throughout the course of the year? Is this a risk that we're not paying attention to?
1: Completely. But right here, right now, it is panic, right? Like, I mean, I think that's part of the problem uh, with regards to what the market is focusing on. I think the phase two deal, but also it's the US elections. What's going to happen there? And we've not talked about the supply side. And I think one of the big things we've seen, despite the price of oil falling, the physical market hasn't really dropped too far because Libya's offline. None of us are talking about that. And everybody expected it to be back in days. And it's been weeks, well, months now, month and a half, and it could last for longer. So there are lots of moving parts right now, but yes, on the demand side, I do think right now. It's it's very, very negative. Uh, but whether it be the fiscal stimulus, whether it be the phase two deal, no one's even thinking about that right now.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For
1: more market moving news, you can
0: head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.